Hi, Al. Um, how are you? I'm good. What's going on? Um, I thought it'd be good to start the interview by asking for a bit of advice, really, because I work mainly from this nice hall. It's about kind of 40 feet by 40 feet. I'm just starting to get some orchestral work coming through. And while I've got some great microphones, I don't have a lot of great microphones. So I kind of wanted to ask you, what were some, do you think some good techniques would be for kind of more minimal miking of big groups? Oh, wow. On an orchestra, you know, it depends on the studio and the room and what kind of a sound you're looking for. Uh, I mean, you could get by recording an orchestra with four microphones uh, if you have the right ones. What I try to do is I, on strings and, and brass and things, I've been using a lot of 67s, Neumann U67s, and um, I keep them in Omni so that I'm getting all the room and everything else. And that's pretty much my technique and what I've been doing for years. Where are you normally placing those? Well, I'm placing them up over, on the string section. They would be up overhead, maybe 10 feet up over the uh, strings. Um, that's pretty much it. And, you know, I, t- I try to make sure that the mics are in a position to be able to cover all the instruments in the string section. Um, you know, I, it's it's pretty hard to talk about it. It would be a lot easier if I could draw a diagram and show you what, but I we don't have that. How has recording orchestras and big band changed over the decades in terms of kind of number of mics, that sort of thing? Yeah, well, obviously back when I started, you know, everything was mono and two-track, and we only had like... Um, well, when I started, we had eight inputs on the console. Uh, when I was doing all the Mancini things, we had 16 inputs. So I could put up 16 microphones, uh, and that was it. So we had to figure out ways of, uh, you know, you couldn't put a mic on every trombone or every trumpet. Uh, or, you know, we try to uh, condense it down and... Uh, instead of using maybe eight mics, wind up using two microphones. Were those normally then pretty distant from the group to kind of get an overall picture? Uh, Not too distant. In front of, you know, if it's a big band, you know, it'd be in front of the trumpets and uh, trombones, uh, maybe uh, five feet in front of the trumpets and trombones, and we'd have two mics. And, and then make sure we'd listen to make sure we got the right blend. And if not, we'd move the mics until we did get the right blend between the trumpets and trombones. So, so it's a matter of where you put the mics and, and listening, going outside, listening what's happening outside, and then coming in the control room, opening the mics and seeing what you're capturing there. And if it's not the same, then you go out and readjust the microphone. How did these techniques change as it went into the 60s and 70s? Well, as, as we got into 24-track uh, and 48-track, and, and now, of course, we're into um, Pro Tools where unlimited tracks, um, we, we can, I put like, if I'm doing a big band, there'll be four mics on the trombones and four mics on the trumpets. 
So that's eight mics compared to just two that we used to use. Uh, we have the the ability to do it now. Same with the saxophones. I would always use two mics on the saxophones years ago on five saxophones. Now I use five mics. So, um, yeah, it, 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 the, the ability to not worry about how many tracks and having to combine things uh, made a big difference, you know. So, and, and in general, the consoles got larger, you know. They went from, you know, eight inputs to 16 to 24, and now, you know, the consoles are unlimited. So, um, you know, the, the Neve 88 that I use a lot is, is just amazing console with plenty of, of space for microphones. Maybe if we talk about some more kind of traditional rock instruments, maybe if you start with the drums, what were the kind of standard recording techniques when you were working at RCA in terms of recording drums? Well, back in those days, we used to use two mics on the drums, one on the overhead and one down on the kick. And that was it. Now, today, I use uh, a mic on the kick, two mics on a snare, a mic on a hi-hat, a mic on each tom, and two overheads. So it went from two mics to, what, eight, ten? Yeah, so it's quite a difference now. Would those have been RCA ribbon mics back then? Well, I used a lot of RCA ribbon mics. I also used a lot of the uh, Telefunken uh, U47s um, and uh, Alltech microphones. So, yeah, we we had a lot of great stuff back then that we used. And RCA ribbon microphones um, were all great. So now it's changed, and uh, you know we're using a lot more uh, tube microphones. Um, I just prefer the sound of the of the tube mics, and I love Neumann microphones. Uh, you know, uh, anything from forty-seven to forty-eight to sixty-seven. To uh, I have uh, a couple of really 149s that I, I have four, five of those that I use all the time. Um, so anyway, I have a pretty good collection of microphones. I have a lot of uh, Royal mics and uh, a lot of Audio-Technica mics. So I'm a mic freak, and when new mics come out, I always, I always like to get a copy of a mic and, and check it out and try it out and see what it works on. What are some of your favorite close mics on drums? Uh, well, let's see. Lately on the overheads on drums, I was using um, Audio-Technica 5045s on the overheads. And now I've been using the new uh, uh, the Neumann uh, U47, uh, 67, the, the new one. You know, the, the, the one that's 7,000 bucks. And uh, I've been using that on overheads. On uh, <clears throat> on a kick, I have a D12 that I use on a kick that uh, I love, an old, great old microphone. Um, on the snare, I use a 452 on the over, on top, 
and a forty uh, and a fifty-seven under the snare, and I I put it at a phase um, on a hi hat. I'm using a four uh, four fifty-two on a hi hat, and then on the toms, um, I've been using these clip-on mics that Audio Technica makes that I really like. And it, it gets rid of a lot of mic stands and, and they're easy to clip them on the drums and they're really easy and out of the way and they don't, you know, the drummer doesn't hit them or whatever. So um, pretty cool. Anyway. Have you noticed any differences between the new Neumann U67s and the original ones? You know, we did a bunch of tests at Capitol. They have 16 of the old ones, and I have two of the new ones. And we did a bunch of tests, and we couldn't tell the difference. They were sounding so good. They're great microphones. And for the price, you know, I mean, uh, an old, a vintage 67, probably going around $15,000 now. And you can get a new one for 7000 And uh, they're really great mics. Are there any other mics that have come out in the last few years that you've been a big fan of? That I like? Oh, yeah. There's uh, Audio Technica. There's uh, a 50, uh, their Audio Technica 5045. I love that mic. Um, a 5047 is another one that they've come out with that I like. Uh, Royal microphones. I love the Royal ribbons. I have about 12 of them, and I, I just. I love them. I have a great Royal stereo ribbon microphone that I use a lot on overheads, uh, on over the conductor, you know, for the room. Um, I don't know. There's just so many great microphones. Um, so I'm always like, if something new comes out, I always try to uh, get a hold of the manufacturer, get a copy, and, and check it out. See... Uh, what it'll do. It's moving on to electric guitar, what were some of the um, kind of standard techniques when you started and how have they changed over time up till now? Well, well, when I started, we were using 57s um, on, the, uh, on the guitar amps. Um, and uh, now uh, we're using Royer uh, microphones. I'm using Royer on the guitar amps a lot. Um, Audio Technica makes a um, 4080 ribbon microphone that I like a lot. I use that sometimes on amps. So, uh, and then on the actual guitar itself, um, I've been using the Audio Technica, the uh, 5047, no, 5045 on the uh, uh, on acoustic guitars. Uh, I like that a lot. It's got a really nice, bright sound to it. And, uh, small microphone, doesn't get in the way. What were some mics that they were using for electric and acoustic guitar back in kind of RCA in, in the 60s? Wow. Well, uh, back then, I think we were using, I was using uh, um, uh, probably an RCA 44 microphone on, on guitar or... Um, or the 77, the RCA 77 ribbon um, 
on guitar. There was another mic, uh, a Western Electric 639. Um, I think that that's the number, 639. I used that also. That was a nice microphone. And I know you quite often say that you don't use very much EQ. But were you, you having to use EQ back then when you were using ribbon microphones quite a lot? We didn't have any EQ back then. Right. There was no we only have we only had one equalizer and if you patched it in it equalized everything. So we never used it. So Tommy Dowd, who was my mentor, and I would we used the microphones for EQ. If we wanted a brighter sound, we used a brighter microphone. If we wanted a warmer sound, we used a warmer microphone. So that's the way. Uh, that's the way I learned. I still don't use any EQ when I record. When I record. Speaking of Tom Dowd, obviously you've been a very influential engineer for a lot of people. But who were some engineers who influenced you when you were starting? Well, Tommy Dowd, number one. My uncle uh, Harry Smith. Uh, from the time I was a little kid, I'd be around him at his studio and uh, watching. So those were two big influences. Um, there was a guy by the name of Bob Darty that um, I learned how to record orchestras from. He was a big influence on my life. Uh, and that's pretty much it, you know? Um, if, if I heard something I liked that an engineer was doing, I would um, call him up and say, hey, I love the sound you got on that. You know, how did you do that? What did you use? And they would always let me know. You know, I mean, I, I don't have secrets. And most engineers I know, good engineers, don't have secrets. Uh, and they would let me know. And then that would be something I could try. And then maybe I would try that and, and use a different, maybe in a different way. To, to get what I wanted. Did your working methods change very much when things like compressors became more common in studios? Somewhat, not a lot. Uh, I don't use a lot of compression. Um, uh, I might use a little on a vocal when I'm doing a vocal, and I try to use uh, you know, a Fairchild if I have one around. Um, but normally, I, I learned, you know, we used to do um, hand limiting by writing gain on the, on the fader, you know, with the vocalist and learning the song and learning where they get loud and where they get soft and, and, and write gain and bring them down a little bit when they get too loud and bring them up a little bit when they get too soft and try to do it so it was unnoticeable. Talking about some other instruments... What are some of your favorite techniques for recording electric bass? Wow. Electric bass, wow. Well, you know, certainly any of the Steely Dan records, any of the uh, Toto 4, those, uh, those records. Uh, you know, there are so many great electric bass players, and half the time they bring their own uh, pickup, you know, the, the whatever. But if not, we, we have them. And uh, you know, the, the, you know, you get Abraham Laboriel, or you get, get oh God, there's so many 
great players. Uh, and they usually come in with their own uh, their own setup, you know. If not, I have a great one. I use kind uh, of so many numbers now. I'm trying to think. Uh, Firefly, you know the Firefly. That's that's what I've been using on the pickup, and I love that. Uh, I can't remember the company that makes it. A Canadian company. Anyway. It's great. I wanted to ask you about working with Steely Dan because I interviewed um, Lenise Bent recently who also worked on some of those records and she was kind of telling me some stories about how particular they were when recording. Do you have any memories of working with them? Oh yeah, I have a lot of memories of working with them. And yeah, they were very particular. Um, Yeah, it's... um, yeah, it had to be perfect. I mean, you know, you'd go over it. We did one mix on Peg. Uh, it took us 12 hours to mix that one song um, because there was so much going on and there was no automation in the board. So we all had, there were four of us from, uh, you know, Walter and Donald and uh, and Carrie Katz and me and uh, just we'd run it each mix was a performance you know and I'd get it right someone else would get something wrong somebody else everybody'd get it right I'd get something wrong so we kept going over and over and over it took us 12 12 hours to mix Peg I'd never spent 12 hours on a mix in my life that was the longest ever but they were great. They had, I love working with them because you always knew the project was going to be uh, uh, what's going to sound awesome. Uh, they were so particular about sounds and and each just about each note. Um, and you know when you're working with the best, it's always it's always a joy. And, and you know you always learn something from people like that. Was it difficult working on projects where there'd be a lot of rotating musicians? No, not really. No, not really at all. Um, you know, if you're talking about like rotating a drummer or the bass player, no, not at all. It was just, we would just, uh, um, you know, set them up, get their sound and go. You know, it's, it's not rocket science. You, know? you just got to know what the drums sound like or what the instrument sounds like where to put the microphone, what microphone to use. Pretty simple, really. I would like to ask about some other people that you've worked with, too. What was working with Quincy Jones like? <laughs> well, I go back with Quincy many, many years. Great. Quincy's great. You know, he's 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 the kind of guy that's pretty much hands-off. He lets the arranger and the engineer do their thing, and then until there's something that he specifically wants, and then he'll let everybody know. Does anything stand out when you think about working with Paul McCartney? Yeah, there's so many things that stand out working with Paul McCartney. First of all, he's one of the nicest people I've ever worked with. He is such a wonderful guy. So to people, so considerate of other people. Uh, just a wonderful guy, wonderful, amazing talent, and a fun guy to hang with, you know. And he did the forward on my book. 
um, which was great. And he talked about how I would tell stories about the Jefferson Airplane and Sam Cooke. And, and then he would come in and start telling stories. And, and it just got to be a real fun project, a fun time. And at the end of the sessions, sometimes we just sit around and talk, tell stories. Is there anything different when you approach recording an artist who has a long legacy like him? No, um, no, I just know that, you know, I do the best I can do and, uh, and I'm pretty good at what I do. And I, um, you know, I, I, I don't get any complaints. So, uh, he was very happy with when he came in and heard his voice. It sounded great. He was thrilled with that and, and everything just, uh, the balances were all there. As he said, when he came in to listen back, it sounded like a finished record. You know, and uh, of course, I have the right echo and, you know, everything in, in the right place. So it was um, it was a joy working with him. I'd love to work with him again. He is just the greatest guy in the world. Could you talk a bit about your transition from being a recording engineer to being a producer and having a more hands-on role later on in your, in your career? You know... Um, when I started, and I was an engineer at RCA, and I was doing all the uh, all the big records, Mancini um, and all the big artists and everything else. And then a lot of people would call up and want to use me on sessions. And they would come in, and they would be on the phone through the whole session, and I'd be doing all the work. So I finally figured out wait a minute, these guys are getting all the money and all the uh, the notoriety and everything, and, uh, you know, I got to do that. So I I talked to my boss, and, and I got a promotion up to, the, uh, to producing, and I wound up producing a lot of records for RCA and a lot of artists, Sam Cooke, Jefferson Airplane, on and on. And uh, But I realized at one point, in the uh, in 1970, that I missed recording, I missed mixing, I missed you know recording. I just production was <clears throat> I just wasn't happy with it anymore. It just wasn't what really what I wanted to do or why I got into the business. So I slowly. Uh, transformed uh, back into being an engineer. I, I did some engineer and producing with uh, Neil Young and with Jackson Brown uh, and people like that after uh, I left RCA and with the Jefferson Airplane. But uh, my first love was recording music and recording bands and orchestras and uh, and that's one of my happiest could you talk a bit about how you came to work with neil young um he called me out of the blue um his manager did elliot elliot roberts who just passed away by the way anyway he called me and said you know neil wants to work on a project and uh you want to get together with him? And I did. I, I got together with Neil and we talked and he said he wanted to set the studio up like a living room. And uh, so we did that. This was uh, at, we were at uh, 
Studio One at Sunset Sound, which is a great room, by the way. And uh, so we set it up. We had couches and lamps and and everything, and and that's how that was recorded. Uh, one of the funny things about that record is that uh, we would have people come. It was all on tape, and we were using a lot of tape. And and so people would come in, and the record people, the company, they'd want to hear things. So we'd have to get the tape and put it on and play it and then take that off and put another tape on to play another song. And uh, so we decided to make some rough mixes. So we wouldn't have to do that. So we made rough mixes down to two track. And when people came in, we could play the rough mixes. And we just thrown them together. We, we, we made them in about, I think the three songs we did in about 20 minutes. Anyway, uh, when the album was finished, then I, I said to Neil, uh, okay, Neil, when are we going to start mixing? He said, uh, Al, I've been listening to these rough mixes and I love them. And I'm going to use the rough mixes. <laughs> and I said, oh, no, Neil, you can't do that. I said, I'll, I'll, I'll pay for the studio myself. Just let me mix them. I know I can. No, no, I'm happy with these, Neil. Al, he said, if you want to go in and do it, I'll go ahead. But I'm using these anyway, so don't waste your time. And that was it. So, um, Neil, to this day, he'll be talking to somebody and my name will come up and he'll say, oh, hey, ask Al if he still wants a remix on the beach. Because it's kind of a running joke with us at this point. But I love Neil and I, I've been blessed to work with him quite a bit. And he's, he's an amazing guy, an amazing artist. Can you think of any other unusual environments that you've recorded in? Unusual environment? Wow. You know, I've, I've recorded a lot of... A lot of nightclubs, and you know, I recorded Sam Cooke live at the uh, Copa, and uh, I recorded uh, a lot of folk groups at the Hungry Eye up in uh, in uh, San Francisco. Um, not that I can think of. I can't think of anything really unusual. What are some of your techniques for recording a band in a live environment like that? I like to set them up as close as possible sounding comfortable so they all can hear well. Uh, preferably it's nice if, if you can get them to all hear without using earphones. But, you know, if they are, then that's it. Set them up and then my job is to capture that sound. And so I try to... Uh, you know, put the mics in the right place and and try to get a big good balance and and that's pretty much it and capture the feel. You don't want to keep a band playing over and over and over again. You you know because sometimes you know like when we did George Benson Breezing, you know we would go on and do uh, five six takes seven takes and somebody would say man that first take was pretty damn good let's hear that again. And we'd listen to the first take, and that would be it, you know. It had the, a, a special feeling to it, spontaneity. You know, the first time down, it was just new to everybody, and it was great. So, you know, in that album, on the Breezin album, I think five of the takes that we did were 
the five of the songs we did with the first take. If you're recording a band live in front of an audience, like with Sam Cooke, do you have any special techniques for working with that? No, they, you know, they set up the way they're going to set up. And then it's, uh, you know, it's up to you to put the microphones uh, so you can capture everything, you know. Uh, you know, recording him at, at the Copa, recording Diana Krall live in Paris, you know, they, they set up. And then it's my job to be able to put mics around and capture everything without all the mics being in the way. So, um, you know, it just takes takes experience, really. Uh, if you're not sure, ask people that have done it before and how they've done it and what the best way to do certain things. Don't be afraid to ask. Are there any particular records that when people come to work with you, they quote as the one that made them want to work with you? Oh, God, there's so many, um, you know, so many of the records that I did with Sam Cooke, uh, uh, that I did with um, Diana Krall, Natalie Cole. Um, yeah, there's... A lot of people come and say, oh, man, I love the way that record sounded. And, you know, they're hoping that they can get the same thing on their record. And uh, and sometimes we can get close, but, you know, it's not quite the same as if when Natalie was singing it or Johnny Mandel did the arrangement, you know. So, um, you know, I try to capture things as best I can and, and do and keep the client and the artist happy. Uh, and I, I, I've had enough experience to be able to keep the artist from getting into trouble uh, or the producer in some cases when they're new and young. Uh, so, you know, all my experience certainly helps out at those times. Could you talk a bit about your approach to using reverb? Oh, my approach to using reverb. Well, um, you know, we always had a live chamber in the studios I worked with, at least one. And uh, in New York at Fulton, we had a great live chamber that uh, Tommy Dowd and I used to uh, shellac all the time uh, to keep it, you know, bright. And, um, and then when I came, when I went to RCA, we had five live chambers and they were all amazing and all sounded great. So sometimes I would use all five live chambers on records. Um, um, I love good echo capitals, of course. Uh, you know, their echo chambers are world famous and I, I'm blessed that I get to work there a lot and I have one special chamber there, number four, that I use a lot. And uh, I use it on vocals all the time. So, so um, yeah, you know, it's uh, Echo can make uh, a big difference in the way your record sound. On vocals, I'll use a live chamber and a Bricasti. I'll use two Echoes or two reverbs, one in the live chamber and one in the casting. And then I'll do a blend of the two to get what I want. 
And I just screw around with it until it sounds exactly the way I want it, and, and then I leave it alone. Do you EQ the reverb returns at all? No, I don't. No. No, I keep them the way they are. Uh, some people do, and I think if I had to for an effect, I could, but I, I don't remember having to do that. Have you tried the new Universal Audio Capital Reverb Chamber plugin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I've worked on it. Um, they have one of my settings there. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty damn good. It's not like the real thing, but it's as close as you can get. Um, and uh, it's pretty damn good. My friend Nico Bolas has been working, using it up uh, and his way he's working. And he's been doing all kinds of experimenting with it. And he's come up with some great, great ways to use it. So it's great. Yeah, I like it. I think it's great. I, 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 the only problem I had with it, I didn't want to see uh, Capital give it up. So I, I, I always thought, people, if you want that chamber, you had to come to Capital to use it. And now you can't. You can use it anywhere. So again, but it's it's not quite the same as the real thing. Do you use any plugins in your work these days? No. No, I don't. I don't use plugins. Uh, no, once in a while, if uh, I'm working on something and, you know, I want to put a little compressor on a congas, I'll, I'll talk to my assistant, Steve Genoetico or uh, Chandler Harrod, and I'll say, can you put a little something, and they'll add a little uh, plug-in uh, compression, and then we'll they'll mess with it until I I say oh yeah that sounds pretty good leave that and and that's it but normally I like to use the real thing what are some of your favorite vocal microphones vocal microphones wow um, I love the 47 at uh, at Capitol that's, that's a great mic 67 the Neumann 67 is great um, there's so many great ones. Uh, 251 was. Uh, Are there any that have come out in recent years that you've been a fan of? Yeah, Audio Technica uh, made one that uh, I think it's 5047. I think it is. That sounds pretty damn good. Um, so I like that on vocal, especially um, female voices. Really sounds great on that. Are preamps very important to you for your sound? Yeah, I have a lot of preamps. Uh, uh, I have four of the Mastering Lab two preamps that I love. I have. Uh, uh, Studer, I have four of the Studer two preamps that I love. I have a bunch of Neve preamps, 1073s, 1081s. Uh, I have eight of a, a preamp that was made by someone who never, it was a, 
it was just a model that they came up with and they got me to try it and I loved it and I never sent it back and they went out of business. They never really ever did it. It's called Upstate Audio and uh, it's, it's great. I use them all the time. I think that's all my questions. So thank you so much for speaking with me. Yeah, I'm happy. I hope you got enough, Hamish. <laughs>